Chapter Eight of A Slave Is a Slave by H. Beam Piper. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Six. Yes, gentlemen, I understand. You have money. Now the first thing you will have to do is furnish us with a complete list of all the slave owners on the planet and a list of all the slaves held by each. This will be sent back to Odin, and will be the basis for the compensation to be paid for the destruction of your property rights in these slaves. How much is a slave worth, by the way?" Nobody knew. Slaves were never sold. It wasn't masterly to sell one's slaves. It wasn't even heard of. Well, we'll arrive at some valuation. Now, as soon as you get back to the Citadel, talk at once to your former chief slaves and their immediate subordinates and explain the situation to them. This can be passed down through administrative freedmen to the workers. You must see to it that it is clearly understood at all levels that as long as the freedmen remain at their work they will be provided for and paid, but that if they quit your service they will receive nothing. Do you think you can do that? You mean give them everything we've been giving them now and then pay them money? Randall Valdry almost howled. Oh, no! You pay them a fixed wage. You charge them for everything you give them, and deduct that from their wages. It will mean considerable extra bookkeeping, but outside of that I believe you'll find that things will go along much as they always did." The masters had begun to relax, and by the time he was finished all of them were smiling in relief. Count Erskyll, on the other hand, was almost writhing in his chair. It must be horrible to be a brilliant young proconsul of liberal tendencies, and to have to sit mute while a cynical old ministerial secretary, vastly one superior in the imperial establishment, and a distant cousin of the emperor to boot, calmly bartered away the sacred liberties of twenty million people. But would that be legal under the imperial constitution? Olvir Nikolon asked. I shouldn't have suggested it if it hadn't been. The Constitution only forbids physical ownership of one sapient being by another. It emphatically does not guarantee anyone an unearned livelihood." The Convocation Committee returned to Zeckensburg to start preparing the servile population for freedom, or reasonable facsimile. The chief slaves would take care of that. Each one seemed to have a list of other chief slaves and the word would spread from them on an each-one-call-five system. The public announcement would be postponed until the word could be passed out to the upper servile levels. A meeting with the chief slaves in office of the various managements was scheduled for the next afternoon. Count Erskyll chatted with forced affability while the departing committee men were being seen to the launch that would take them down. When the airlock closed behind them, he drew Prince Trevanion aside out of earshot of their subordinates. "'You know what you're doing?' he raged, in a hoarse whisper. "'You're simply substituting peonage for outright slavery.' "'I'd call that something of a step.' He motioned Erskyll into one of the small hall-cars, climbed in beside him, and lifted it, starting toward the living area. "'The Convocation has acknowledged the principle that sapient beings should not be property. That's a great deal for one day.' But the people will remain in servitude, you know that. The masters will keep them in debt, and they'll be treated just as brutally. Oh, there will be abuses, that's to be expected. 
This freedman's management, nay, servile management, will have to take care of that. Better make a memo to talk with this chief freedman of Martwin's. What's his name? Zahars Kahuzik. That's right. Let Zahars do it. Employment Practices Code, Investigation Agency, Enforcement. If he can't do the job, that's not our fault. The Empire does not guarantee every planet an honest, intelligent, and efficient government. Just a single one. But it will take two or three generations. At first the freedmen will be exploited, just as they always have been. But in time there will be protests and disorders, and each time there will be some small improvement. A society must evolve, Obray. Let these people earn their freedom. Then they will be worthy of it. They should have their freedom now. This present generation? What do you think freedom means to them? We don't have to work any more. So down tools and let everything stop at once. We can do anything we want. Let's kill the overseer. And anything that belongs to the masters belongs to us. We're masters too now. No, I think it's better for the present to tell them that this freedom business is just a lot of masterly funny talk, and that things aren't really changed at all. It will effect a considerable saving of His Imperial Majesty's ammunition, for one thing. He dropped Erskyll at his apartment, and sent the hall-car back from his own. Lons Degbrin was waiting for him when he entered. Ravney's having trouble. That is the word he used, Degbrin said. In Pierre Ravney's lexicon, trouble meant shooting. The news of the Emancipation Act is leaking all over the place. Some of the troops in the North who haven't been disarmed yet are mutinying, and there are slave insurrections in a number of places. They think the masters have forsaken them, and it's every slave for himself. He hadn't expected that to start so soon. The announcement had better go out as quickly as possible, and I think we're going to have some trouble. You have information taps into Count Erskyll's numerous staff. Use them as much as you can. You think he's going to try to sabotage this employment program of yours, sir? Oh, he won't think of it in those terms. He'll be preventing me from sabotaging the emancipation. He doesn't want to wait three generations. He wants to free them at once. Everything has to be at once for six-month-old puppies, six-year-old children, and reformers of any age. The announcement did not go out until nearly noon the next day. In terms comprehensible to any low-grade submoron, it was emphasized that all this meant was that slaves should henceforth be called freedmen, that they could have money just like Lord's Master, and that if they worked faithfully and obeyed orders, they would be given everything they were now receiving. Ravney had been shuttling troops about, dealing with the sporadic outbreaks of disorder here and there. Many of these had been put down, and the rest died out after the telecast explaining the situation. In addition, some of Commander Duvrin's intelligence people had discovered that the only source of fissionables and radioactives for the planet was a complex of uranite mines, separation plants, refineries, and reaction plants on the smaller of Aditya's two continents, Ostrogonia. In spite of the other urgent calls on its resources, Ravney landed troops to seize these, and a party of engineers followed them down from the Empress Eulalie to make an inspection. 
At lunch, Count Erskyll was slightly less intransigent on the subject of the wage-employment proposals. No doubt some of his advisers had been telling him what would happen if any appreciable number of Aditya's labor force stopped work suddenly. And the wave of uprisings that had broken out before any public announcements had been made puzzled him. He was also concerned about finding a suitable building for a proconsular palace. The business of the empire on Aditya could not be conducted long from shipboard. Going down to the citadel that afternoon, they found the chief freedmen of the non-functional chiefs of management assembled in a large room on the fifth level down. There was a cluster of big tables and communication screens and wired telephones in the middle, with smaller tables around them at which freedmen in various colored gowns sat. The ones at the central tables, a dozen and a half, all wore chief slaves' white gowns. Trevanion and Erskyll and Patrick Moville and Lons Degbrin joined these. Subordinates guided the rest of the party. A couple of Ravney's officers and Erskyll's numerous staff of advisers and specialists to distribute themselves with their opposite numbers in the mastership. Everybody on the Adityan side seemed uneasy with these strange hermaphrodite creatures who were neither slaves nor lord's master. Well, gentlemen, Count Erskyll began, I suppose you have been informed by your former lord's master of how relations between them and you will be in the future. Oh, yes, Lord Proconsul, Gregor Chimid replied happily, everything will be just as before, except that the lord's master will be called lord's employer, and the slaves will be called freedmen, and any time they want to starve to death they can leave their employers if they wish. Count Erskyll frowned. That wasn't just exactly what he had hoped emancipation would mean to these people. Nobody seems to understand about this money thing, though, Zahars Gahuzik, Caesar Motwin's chief freedman, said. My lord master, he slapped himself across the mouth and said, Lord employer, five times rapidly. My lord employer tried to explain it to me, but I don't think he understands very clearly himself. None of them do. The speaker was a small man with pale eyes and a mouth like a rat-trap. Zakup Zanar, chief freedman to Ranal Valdry, the provost-marshal. It's really your idea, Prince Trevanion, Erskyll said. Perhaps you can explain it. Oh, it's very simple. You see, at least it had seemed simple when he started. Labor was a commodity which the worker sold and the employer purchased. A fair wage was one which enabled both to operate at a profit. Everybody knew that, except here on Aditya. On Aditya a slave worked because he was a slave, and a master provided for him because he was a master, and that was all there was to it. But now it seemed there weren't any more masters and there weren't any more slaves. That's exactly it, he replied, when somebody said as much. So now, if the slaves, I mean freedmen, want to eat, they have to work to earn money to buy food, and if the employers want work done, they have to pay people to do it. Then why go to all the trouble about the money? That was an elderly chief freedman, Muckle Exhoffer, whose lord employer, Oraz Borostal, was manager of public works. Before your ships came, the slaves worked for the masters, and the masters took care of the slaves, and everybody was content. Why not leave it like that? 
because the Galactic Emperor, who is the Lord Master of these people, say that there must be no more slaves. Don't ask me why, T'Chal Hoseth snapped at him. I don't know either. But there they are, with ships and guns and soldiers. What can we do? That's very close to it, he admitted. But there is one thing you haven't considered. A slave only gets what his master gives him. But a free worker, for pay, gets money which he can spend for whatever he wants, and he can save money, and if he finds that he can make more money working for somebody else, he can quit his employer and get a better job. We hadn't thought of that, Gregor Schmid said. A slave, even a chief slave, was never allowed to have money of his own, and if he got hold of any he couldn't spend it. But now... A glorious vista seemed to open in front of him. And he can accumulate money? I don't suppose a common worker could. But an upper slave? Especially a chief slave? He slapped his mouth and said, Friedman, five times. Yes, Gregor. That was Rigard Schiffertz, Friedrich Jifson, fiscal management. I am sure we could all make quite a lot of money. Now that we are freedmen. End of chapter 6